Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, it's Suzanne. Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm thrilled to have you listening today, and my guest is Michael Melcher. Michael Melcher is an internationally known executive coach and leadership expert. And over the past 20 years, he has helped a vast array of clients, which is really quite wonderful, especially as a leadership coach, because a lot of us tend to stay in a couple of lanes, and Michael's experience is very broad. He has worked with senior executives, entrepreneurs, White House appointees, tech wizards, community activists, parents returning to the workforce and young people just starting out. He has delivered hundreds of keynotes and workshops across the globe and is the author of three books, including his most recent, Your Invisible Network, How to Create, Maintain, and Leverage Relationships That Will Transform Your Career. And I highly recommend this book, just giving that a quick plug. Prior to entering coaching, he has served as a foreign service officer in the U.S. State Department, worked as a lawyer, and founded an internet startup. Michael is the product of public schools uh, before earning his BA from Harvard and his JD MBA from Stanford. He was raised by a Mexican-American single mother who was the first Hispanic woman in America to earn a doctorate in accounting. He is a gay dad and lives in Manhattan with his twin sons, Nicolas and Mateo. Michael, welcome to The Courage Effect. Thank you for having me, Suzanne. I'm excited to be here. Such a pleasure. So one of the things that really stuck with me since our prep conversation is, you know, the courage to disrupt your regular activities. I mean, obviously you are somebody and I am somebody we've, we've changed our lives around. We've had a couple of different chapters. I'm curious for you when, when I say that, when we talk about disruption and courage, how is, what, what are the thoughts that bubble up for you? Well, uh, courage is required when you're first noticing something you want to change. And then we start doing the activities to change it. And usually when you are trying to change your life in some positive way, there's an investment period, meaning you have to take efforts and do things and try things, but there's a real lag between doing that and getting positive feedback or noticing any meaningful change. So you're kind of investing up front and you're not really sure what the return is going to be. So that's one way that um, courage is required when you're making a change. And that's really hard because as you said, when you're in that sort of, I mean, I call it the trough. So you're, <laughs> you're in that zone of not really feeling results. Um, I'm curious for you, how, how do you know, how do you, what practices do you put in place to actually get out of that trough? Well, that's a great question um, because I'm kind of doing something like that right now. I think the first thing is to know where you are. Like I am in this change period and I am taking action to do something about it. So it's not like an ordinary period. It's not like I'm in my routine. It's not like I'm doing things I've done a thousand times before. It's I'm trying something that is is different. Um, and also reminding yourself that you're taking in a lot of information. So growth is a lot about discomfort. It's a key to growth actually, because when we are growing, we're trying things that we haven't done before. We're trying things that we don't know how they're going to turn out. We're probably trying things with new people where we don't have established relationships. We don't want to fail and we don't want to be rejected. Uh, so that's that's an uncomfortable feeling. And it's recognizing that. And then it's what type of label do we put on it? Do I think, oh, I feel 
weird. I'm in this German class and people are 20 years younger than me and they seem to be better than me. And I thought I was good at this. And do I look at it that way? Or do I say, hey, gold star for me because I schlepped downtown to take this class in a new language that I've never studied before. And that took effort. So I'm hearing some kindness for yourself, some some grace. Grace, I have to say self-compassion is on my to-do list. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it's oddly not something that comes so naturally to me. And, and in a way, I feel like, well, that could be my psychology or it could be part of being someone who goes after goals and achieves things. You know, you're constantly pushing yourself to be something better than you are already. But it's very easy for that to then turn into a more generalized judgment of, of yourself um, and kind of n- not give yourself credit, I would say. Yeah. Well, and I think it's such a, a, a potential dangerous double bind, especially if you're in that trough, right? Because if you're in that point of of just pushing yourself, pushing yourself and not taking some reflection, taking some you know introspection on on giving yourself permission to to at least keep going because it's so easy to just pull the ripcord and, and get out. Yeah, I think you can you can also give yourself permission to let it be hard. I mean, there are times in life when things are just hard and it's not a sign you're doing something wrong. If it's really hard, it means, oh, maybe I'm doing something that, that is worthwhile. Such a great point. <laughs> and so important. I think we're really bad at sitting in that, sitting in discomfort. Oh, sure. I mean, we we are terrified of boredom. Um, we are terrified of the anxiety that comes from that. And we increasingly live in a culture where there are all kinds of little parachutes you can jump into to escape the moment, uh, often held in the palm of our hands with a, a little red dot indicating there's something to look at or a message, right? So those are all escapes from the moment. But as you know, there's so much more learning if we can be still and then kind of just observe like, hmm, what, what's Michael doing right now? What's he feeling? What, what's he noticing? What's hard for him? What's easy for him? And it's kind of an advanced thing, but to, in a way, notice without judgment, just it's sort of an is, it's not a good or a bad, but, but seeing it as an is, I think helps us stay in it and not freak out and think we have to like resolve things one way or the other when, when they're probably unresolvable, unresolvable for the time being. Yeah. Well, and also it's that, that combination of action and thinking, right. And the tendency to, to overthink. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been, uh, very informed in my coaching work by a book that came out many years ago called Working Identity by Erminia Ibarra. And there's actually a second edition coming out, I think, in moments. And her book was about career change, but it it has much broader applications. And essentially, she said, people put a lot of stock into insight and thinking, but change isn't really about thinking. It's about thinking and acting. And her contribution was it's not you think of something, then you act. It's more like you act, and then you think, and you act again, and then you think. So that's where the reflection is. So as coaches, we know this, like, you know, insight's great, but, you know, insight is, um, there's a lot of it out there. And it's really the application and the trying and the testing and the development of new habits and practices that allows you to move forward. I love that book. That's actually one of the books that made me decide to become a coach. It it literally changed my life. So, um, and the whole idea of outside, you know, like you can't, like insight is good, but you need to get out of your own zone, your own world in order to have the, the 
the insight um, of who you are and what you're doing and changing up. So, yeah, th there's a, another uh, wrinkle on what you just said, which, which is what is the role of other people when we're trying to take courageous actions? So on the one hand, other people can keep us tethered to the reality that we have right now. Um, some of our close ties may like it, may like what we're doing, or they're getting something out of it, or they might have loving doubts, right? But but they are not necessarily signed up for this change agenda you might have. And so to some degree, you have to be really careful when you're doing something that is high risk or requires courageous, because it, it's almost natural to call up the very person who's going to give you the most negative feedback. Although sometimes I'm just saying this because I care, right? So that's one thing. But the second thing is we often discover who we are by seeing how we're reflected in the eyes of others. Like my personal theory about this is that our, our, our self views lag a bit. So in some ways, my view of myself as a coach is like, I don't know, circa 2007 or 2008. Um, but it's not 2008 anymore. And if I meet somebody in 2023 and I see how they're reacting to me, I have to think, oh, maybe that's actually who I am right now. <laughs> Maybe I'm maybe I'm sort of a well-known, accomplished person who's respected in this field, as opposed to oh, can I really make it? You know, is it is it going to be weird or or what have you? And so it's both thinking about all right, which people do I need to have a little bit of distance from, but also how do I start opening myself up to new people who can kind of reinforce this courage agenda that we've taken on. I love that. And and the whole idea of it, it's so intertwined with identity, going back to your earlier point before, I think it's it being able to see ourselves in a different light because yeah, it is so easy to just go back and think, oh, that was me 10 years ago. And it's like, well, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot that's happened during that point. And I'm curious for you as, I mean, a, a big leap in your, in your life was becoming a father. Mm -hmm. So, and that obviously was a courageous move. So can you give us a little bit about, about that, that, cause that's obviously a significant identity shift as well. Oh my goodness. Um, yes, very much so. So I have a number of possibly contradictory thoughts. The first is that I don't think I really changed that much. I think I've just become more of who I was already, but maybe those parts are buried a little bit or hadn't yet bloomed. The second thing is I, I um, created my children through this process of surrogacy and in vitro fertilization where two women helped me. One provided the eggs and the other one carried the embryo with whom she has no biological connection, but obviously a very intimate one. And I had first thought of this idea 20 years before I did it. And it took me 20 years to kind of get to it. And part of that was financial, but I really think the main reason is that for many years, I was waiting for somebody to give me permission to do it or to persuade me. And one day I realized I didn't need anybody's permission and it wasn't anybody else's job to persuade me. And I think both of those points are relevant to a lot of people. Um, you could almost make a, do a little exercise. Okay. What am I waiting for permission to do? Or I wish somebody would give me permission to, and then list out five times or, and then, uh, it would be nice if people would persuade me to, you know, three or four times. It's funny what might, what might come up in that exercise. 
and so insightful around sort of unloading it on somebody else, burdening somebody else <laughs> with the responsibility of absolutely. Nudging us. I mean, I I did that actually. Like I um, I would get annoyed that some of my friends or relatives weren't really saying supportive things, but in a way they were just tracking what they thought I was communicating. So if I would say, oh, I'm not really sure I want to do this, they would then echo that back, right? Um, so when you are expecting other people to persuade you, you can create these really strange dynamics and be kind of passive aggressive without even realizing it. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about that more. We have to go to a break. So let's take uh, let's take a moment. We'll be back. This is The Courage Effect with Suzanne. Please stay tuned. Hey, everybody. It's Suzanne from The Courage Effect. As the seasons changed, I poked into my closet and discovered how stale my wardrobe had become. Everything felt boring, and I wanted something different and fresh. I grabbed my laptop and remembered armoire. Why not clothing rental? I could experiment with new styles from jeans to something fancy without spending a ton of money and buying clothes I would only wear a handful of times. Armoire makes clothing rental easy. Build a perfect seasonal wardrobe with brands that are unique, sustainably sourced, and owned by women. All you have to do is take the style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, and they will ship them straight to your door. Armoire allows me to indulge in high quality designer clothing with no guilt. They promote sustainability with fewer items ending up in the donation bag and landfill and no dry cleaning fees. Trust me, your cramp closet and the environment will thank you. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you must try Armoire. And right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style, that's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style, slash the courage effect to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne, and my guest today is Michael Melcher. Michael, in the conversation we've been having so far, I've been thinking about expectations and the idea of, you know, with with courage, we, you know, we tend to create the narrative in our mind of how something is actually going to turn out. And with courage, that is bucking the expectations. It's actually questioning ourselves and bringing some curiosity to the table. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, especially maybe in in light of your book, because I do think that those two things are very, very woven together. Right. Uh, courage is part of expanding and deepening your network. People might not start with that word. They might start with something like discomfort or weirdness or uh, fear, perhaps. But I, I think a lot of it relates to courage. And you set this question, well, at what point do you need to open up and buck expectations? Because the thing about professional relationship building is that sure we want some intentionality i mean every business book is about some type of intentionality like you're activating you're trying to move into the world you're saying i want something different from what i had already i want something better so there's some type of planning and strategy which you could do but then 
you have to open yourself up to a variety of possible outcomes that you can never predict. So that also requires a little bit of courage to be willing to really want something and not necessarily assume it's going to happen or happen in the way that you predict. It might be better or it might be disappointing, but you just have to know that there's a huge amount you can't you can't predict and if you get too wrapped up in expectations it really slows you down and kind of blinds you from other good things that could happen so what i'm also hearing is is being open to it not going how you want so so checking your expectations early on but then maybe being open to to other alternatives yes and i have a a sort of uh ratio that I recommend for this. And the ratio is that out of 10 conversations you might have, three will be really good, better than you expected. You learned something you didn't really know you're gonna learn or or the connection is more powerful than you thought. Five will be eh, pretty good, you know, decent, workmanlike. You're going through the day, maybe it'll turn into something, did your part. And two might be sort of unpleasant or like a bad date or watching paint dry. You know, it's just, okay, I was hoping this would be better, right? And I think that's a fairly good ratio. And and the reason it comes out that way is that you can't predict who is going to be particularly useful ahead of time. Some people you think will be useful will not be, and others that you think will be completely random meetings are incredibly powerful. And the second thing is you can't predict how any one conversation will turn out because a conversation is two heads with two different worlds behind them and it's chemistry and action. And so you can often get to someplace you don't expect, right? So if you if you put those two together, then you can't really predict it. It means it's a bit more of a volume play. So it's, you can be attached to overall, I would like a positive outcome. I'm gonna put in the work and over time, I will turn over some great stones, but not getting too wrapped up in how any one conversation is going to turn out or how any one relationship will turn out because that's just kind of a recipe for making yourself unhappy and bitter. Yeah. So let it go and know, know where and when to invest your time and energy in relationships is also what I'm hearing. Yes. And, and kind of learn from the process, right? So you, you may start out with certain expectations and then learn from others and also to recognize when you had expectations. So I, in the past, I had clients that were, let's say, going through different kinds of career transitions and I remember one client who worked in banking, he was becoming so bitter that people he thought who were his friends were not responding to his emails or responding in a timely way or kind of hooking him up. And, you know, there's a bit of a, a timing thing. Maybe they're just busy right now, but but it, it doesn't help you to be hooked on that, right? And to be obsessing about what does this relationship say? Because there could be others that will be super powerful and and useful that you're not even expecting. Mm, yeah. Um, where did the the name invisible network come from? I'm so I'm so curious about that. Well, I uh, worked with a book coach on this book for the first time, a woman named Jenny Nash, who really serves a thought partner in helping me to pull out what I was trying to say. Um, like a great intellectual sparring partner, I would say, who also knew a lot about publishing. And we were trying to get the heart of what I was saying and like what's holding people back. And and I said, because people don't realize how much is around them or how to access everybody else. They're very focused on what's right in front of them, but there's this whole invisible layer that is part of their world 
that they're now tapping into. It's an invisible network. And she that's a great phrase. And so that's what became the, the title. And it, it's two levels of visibility. It's horizontally invisible because you can have weak ties. You haven't met them or you haven't gotten to know them. You don't know what they provide. And then there's a vertical level, which is that most work relationships are underdeveloped. We engage transactionally with people. And so we're losing out of a lot of the depth there. And so all this is around us. And the question is, how do we bring it closer? How do we connect more with this with this world around us that's waiting to be seen by us? Yeah, fantastic. I also really love when you have like weak ties, right? Like you talk about these different types of relationships and that's okay because it's not one size fits all. Yes, yeah, so weak ties are people that you don't know very well. Um, so you and I were a weak tie until today, really. We met once or twice, I think. And uh, either just met them or don't know them well, or perhaps you knew each other quite well, but it was 12 years ago or three jobs ago or in another city. And so they're attenuated from how we are right now. But a lot of the research shows that weak ties are tremendously important in career development. You also talk about getting beyond, I mean, talking about yourself is a really hard thing in networking. A lot of people feel gross and you talk about like, how do you, how do you sort of move beyond the gross? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, the first point is a bit of a come to Jesus thing, which is, all right, you don't want to talk about yourself. Who's going to? Because decisions about your career are being made in rooms that you're not in. So where are they supposed to get the messages? Will Amazon or Google give them the algorithm that will somehow perfectly represent you? No, it's not going to. So you have a choice. Do I want to equip people with the right messages or not? In terms of what you talk about, um, yeah, it it's a bit of an art. You only learn it by doing it. Um, it's not necessarily the most logical thing that would work. So you have to be willing to play in the sandbox a little bit and try different things out. One tip is to start with your interests before you talk about your life story. So I'm really interested in learning how to have a successfully marketed book, or I'm really interested in, in what leaders in my company um, do and how they, how they built their skills, or I'm interested in how women in tech um, can be really effective while still being who they are right so you start with your interest and say oh by way of background i spent the last 12 years working as a software developer and taking psychology classes at night because i was always passionate about it or i worked in international development for 15 years and I'm now making a transition to xyz or it, it, so you start with your interests because when people start with their backgrounds they tend to be both defensive and boring so they're defensive because they feel like, well, I have to show somebody I'm worth talking to, not realizing that that is such a snorefest to go through your background. And then it encourages people to puff things up a little bit in a way that just doesn't land well. Yeah, we get so obsessed with like proving our credibility. Proving our credibility. I have to say one pet peeve I have, <laughs> it's going to share with the world when people are talking about themselves or writing about themselves. People often think that if they denote that they've been selected for something, it's better than saying they just wanted wanted it. So a book author I know um, said, well, my, my publisher asked me to come out with a book on XYZ subject. I'm like, well, how about you just say you wanted to write about this? Or 
I was selected by the uh, CEO for a new leadership program. I'm like, how about I was just a member of this? Like, like it's weird to, I, I just don't like it. Just claim what you are and what you want. And I don't really care who asked you to do it or who invited you to the party. I like that for so many reasons because it's so passive to be like, oh, I was like, they gave me the nod or I was picked exactly as you said. It's it's much more passive than just, yeah, it's boring. Yeah, it's not really owning your power. Um, it, it's it, In a weird way, it's weakening because you're transferring the attention away from you to the other person who kind of, you know, gave you the tap on the shoulder with a golden sword type of thing. Well, and what it, you also talk about, you know, the like the transactional nature of relationships, and it is nice to have like some shared condition, right? Because in a lot of the time, it's it's acknowledging that, and that's one of the things, especially, you know, I mean, as, as entrepreneurs, we know this with having our own businesses. So many independent business owners they hate like doing biz dev, right? They hate going out and asking for asking for money. And, and it's because they see it as asking for money. It's like, well, you know, and I'm always thinking about how do you have the courage to reframe that into something yeah. about what, what, what does this give you? What, how do you build relationships and build your business in ways where it's not just about asking for money? Yeah. I, I would be even more forceful. I would say you need to destroy that concept because it's not true and it's limiting you. And as long as you have it, you're not going to do anything. And by the way, people sometimes like having really limiting ideas because then it, gets them off the hook for doing anything right um yeah you could position it as i enjoy meeting people i get great ideas from others i have ideas to share uh i might be able to help people out um i represent a whole company full of people and so it's my job to connect with others who might be able to help them there there are lots of different ways that people do it i mean most people have a set of relationship building activities they do naturally but they define it as kind of not work and not on purpose. And they think those are good ones. And then the on purpose ones, somehow they decide are bad, but there's no real conceptual difference between the two. Yeah. Well, and thank you for the book. I mean, it's, it is really fantastic. Highly recommended just as far as really having a better understanding of leveraging your existing network. That's one of the things that I think, you know, like a network is a living thing. So it, it, it we get out of it, what we put into it. And that's one of the things that it's a good reminder for me, like, oh, that's a weak tie I haven't talked to in a long time or, or thinking what are the relationships I need in my life right now? So it's a, it's a living thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So as we wrap up, I want to just do a couple of takeaways from things that I heard you say in our conversation today. Um, people can keep themselves, keep it, keep each other tethered. Like maybe we need to look at the people that are around us and surround us with people that are going to be on the change journey with us as opposed to holding us back. Um, the idea of giving ourselves permission, why do we tend to fall into that? And the courage to expand our network, the courage to, you know, talk about yourself and really own your story, because if you don't, somebody else will. So Thank you so much for being here today, Michael. So appreciate the conversation. And um, I will make sure that your website is on, um, is your your contact information is on our website. Any final thoughts as we wrap up? I just want to uh, take on the kind of final discussion about the cultivating. It's, it's like a garden. And anyone who ever does gardening knows that it's actually quite a lot of work, but it's more like a day-to-day type of cultivation and that's what enables it to really flourish. So there's always something you can do to keep it going. I love that. Yep. Keep gardening. Keep gardening that network. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Stay courageous.